Hello, beautiful listeners, and welcome to The Premise. I'm your host, Jennifer Thompson. And I'm your host, Chad Thompson. Hi, Chad. Hi, the one you barely hear from. That's, That's right. The, this, this has been kind of crazy. These have been some upside down times <laughs> on planet yeah. Earth. We've been sequestered for how long? I think like three weeks now. I think it's more than that. Really? Maybe a month? Yeah, I think we might be a month, a month and a half in. You know, I just want to say to it's our listeners... It's tough to say when you, when you work from home, right? That's true, when we're always at home. I just want to say to our listener, we hope you're, you're staying safe and, you know, using this time for good, whether you are being creative yourself... We're taking in all the creative content that's available right now. Oh, like like Questlove live streaming his DJ sets. That is true. We have been cooking dinner to Questlove and we want to just shout out to Quest. Thank you. We're in a time when the ability to reach out and touch each other virtually matters more than ever. Remember to check in with your loved ones. Schedule FaceTime. My little sister is doing trivia night with her friends on Zoom. Sweet. There's so many things we can do to stay positive, to bring joy into our life. And I just want to encourage you to think outside the box. And I also want to encourage you, listener, to record your story during this unprecedented time. Document your experience. We're going to be able to look back on this and hopefully we can learn from it and become stronger. Here on The Premise, we believe that stories help change our experience, build empathy, and bring us together. And as you know, the San Diego Writers Festival has been postponed until wah, further notice. Wah, wah, wah. Right? But silver lining. Chad and I are here and we will continue to bring you weekly episodes. All of our guests have been really gracious in calling in and having the right microphone so the sound is good for you. And I'm really excited about this week's guest, Elise Capron, who is amazing. She's an agent and you're about to hear from her. But in the meantime, thank you for being here. We're honored to be part of your listening experience. Yeah. Thanks for joining us here in the bunker. In the bunker. Yeah. All right, here we go. Since our last interview, a lot has happened. Californians are being asked to stay inside, except for essential needs like groceries. So this is a good time to listen to a podcast. We're honored to have you here with us. As you know, here on The Premise, we get down to the story behind the storyteller. And speaking of gratitude, I'm super grateful that Chad and I have this opportunity to speak with Elise Capron from her home here in San Diego. Welcome, Elise. Thank you so much to both of you, Jennifer and Chad. I'm so happy to be here in this very weird week in all of our lives. <laughs> right? I know. It's crazy. Yeah, we really appreciate you spending the time. And so listeners, Elise Capron is a literary agent with the Sandra Dykstra Agency here in San Diego and Del Mar, actually, which is known for guiding the careers of many best-selling fiction and non-fiction authors, including Amy Tan and Lisa C., who was a guest on The Premise a few weeks back. That was episode nine, which dropped on February 26th, if you, if you want to go back and take a listen to Lisa C., on the fiction side, Elise is interested in character-driven literary fiction for the adult market. She aims to work with writers who are getting their work published regularly in literary magazines and who have a realistic sense of the market and their audience. And we'll talk more about that. On the nonfiction front, Elise is looking primarily for well-written narrative nonfiction in the areas of cultural studies, science, medicine, and the environment. She is particularly keen to work with journalists and historians, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> Elise, we're really excited to talk more about what it's like to be an agent in these crazy times. Welcome, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about you when you were eight years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I mean, like many people in publishing, I have loved books since, you know, I was very small. Um, I was known to, you know, read the the telephone book and <laughs> and large really? um, encyclopedias and things while my parents were dead asleep next to me in the bed. But just um, anything you could read, you could, <laughs> anything awesome. I could read. Yeah, that's a whole but, new level of nerddom right there. I've never heard of anyone reading the telephone book, like the encyclopedias. Yeah, the telephone book. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, just my love of books goes way back, and I 
I actually was really interested in going into academia um, when I was finishing up my undergrad years. And I thought maybe I would go in that direction and be a teacher, but uh, but I loved the publishing side of it as well. Um, I was lucky enough to go to an undergrad college. I went to Emerson College in Boston that actually at the time was one of the very few colleges that offered publishing classes, um, which I think are still pretty hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to have a little bit of a little taste of publishing. Um, I think a little bit earlier, I think these days, you know, the, a lot of times the only way you can get even a glimpse into the publishing world is to somehow decide that you want to do it and then to go find some unpaid internship um, and try to figure out if it's what you want to do. So fortunately, I was able to, you know, get a little taste of it even before I did internships. Um, at that point then in college, I did several internships, including with the Dykstra Agency and also with Harcourt, which, mm-hmm. um, as I'm sure you guys know, used to be headquartered in San Diego for quite a yeah. few years, yeah. Yeah, which was a, a little, a small miracle <laughs> of Southern I California. Yeah, yeah, since we don't have a whole lot of major publishing here. But Um, But yeah, no, I I loved it. And so I really did kind of battle between going into academia and uh, pursuing publishing. Um, And then I sort of I sort of fell into a wonderful position um, at actually the Dykstra Agency when I was all of 21 years old. Mm. And I wasn't even completely sure that I wanted to to do that. But um, I didn't at the time, I did not know what an agent did. I, <laughs> it was all very mysterious. Um, right. But I decided to give it a go. And that was, you know, 16 years ago. So that was a little bit of my path to just getting here. Um, but my love of books has been core to my experience all the yeah. way through this. And, and I think too, that most people, and I think this is important for any writers listening to remember is that all of us in publishing, we're doing it because we love the books first and foremost, and we're here for the books that really is at the heart of everything mm-hmm. we do um, is to support authors. So that has guided my journey through it all um, yeah. and continues to guide my journey. Well, and honestly, there's not a lot of money in publishing, you know, (laughs) when people tell me they want to, you know, they want to write a book because they want to, you know, a large stream of income, or they plan to buy their their dream house, you know, (laughs) or retire off the money from the sales (laughs) of their book. I'm like, "Mm, we need to have a conversation. (laughs) There's something you don't know. (laughs) Hollywood has created um, this vision of what it's like to be an author, uh, a famous author. And guess what? That's not reality. But you're right. Like we go into publishing because we're passionate about books. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true of a lot of other industries where at the core of it is this deep passion for you know the work itself and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of community in that I think right yeah and that's part of what I absolutely love about being in publishing for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting to work on projects that I care deeply about most people don't get to say that about their jobs that's true at least I have to say you know I've known about you for many many years and Uh, we've only recently started kind of collaborating because of the San Diego Writers Festival. Mm -hmm. But you've always been so generous with your time and how much you give to the community is really a beautiful thing. So I just want to kind of give a shout out to you and say thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. It's really awesome. You know, speaking of Harcourt, uh, I used to, I I actually was an intern at a publishing company myself when I was in college, went Mm. to school to be a journalist, as it -hmm. it were. And I, my office was directly across from Harcourt. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And I, on the same floor, you know, so my office was in what is now the NBC building downtown San Diego and Harcourt was right across the way. Oh, that's so so fantastic. Yeah, we were publishing bioscience and technology directories, by uh-huh. the way, which is really boring. <laughs> and I remember looking across at Hardcourt and being like, I want to be over there. But then again, if you like reading phone books, I mean, this is yeah. right up your alley. That would have been perfect for you. Yeah. Which... <laughs> well, well, you know, my, um, I should just say my, my internship, I mean, I loved my internships at, at everywhere I did them, but my internship at Hardcourt was really incredible. I, um, um, I mean, you know, Harcourt, they're the publisher of The Little Prince, of Virginia Woolf, of Italo Calvino. And when I was an intern there, they just, they 
let me go into the archives and see these signed contracts and work with these beautiful old editions and write, I got to write the draft. I'm sure they completely changed it, but I got to write the initial draft cover copy for um, all the new editions of the Virginia Wolf books. Um, wow. Again, I'm sure they changed every word, but it was a total, I mean, just speaking of love of books, it was an absolute magical experience. So I thank everyone who um, who was my mentor during that internship in particular. It was just really magical. Nice. Uh, yeah. So are you a writer too? Oh, I was a writer. I, okay. <laughs> I was Speaking a writer. Yeah, I was a writer in um, actually most of my life and through college. I uh, do not write creatively anymore. Um, uh, for a few reasons. I mean, number one, I will say that I actually find so agents, you know, agents these days, we do a lot of editorial and developmental work. And I find that that actually kind of satisfies a lot of mm. that creative, um, uh, you know, drive and, and need for me. Um, and number two, I have realized working and publishing how much how much you absolutely have to write in order to really be a successful writer. I mean, it has to be your driving force down to your core, in my view, because it takes so much perseverance and dedication and passion for your craft. And at a certain point years ago, I realized I think that I was better suited to be that um, kind of guardian angel through the process rather than the one creating the content. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I kind of stopped writing at that point um, creatively, and I'm fine with that decision. <laughs> and it's also given me so much respect for what writers do on a daily basis. I mean, no one appreciates it more than me. I promise it's, you know, I, I realize how much it takes. It does. And you have to have thick skin mm -hmm. and be willing to go through a pretty rigorous process. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about how an agent is really involved in the editorial side of it. And I don't think people realize that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I do a lot of work with my writers. It always depends on the project, certainly. Um, some projects are closer to ready to go than others. But um, I do some sort of editorial and or developmental work um, uh, with everything I, I take on for sure. And it's fun. I enjoy that. Has that been uh, like a recent addition? I mean, has this evolved over the past 16 years? Um, no, I mean, it's always been part of what I do and what all of us do at my agency. Um, so we have a, a whole group of agents here. And no, I mean, all of us are, are quite involved on that level. Like I said, it does really vary from project to project in terms of what is needed and how, you know, deep we go um, in terms of working on that. And, and there are times, too, where maybe we realize we you know, need to send the person to work with someone else. Um, but, uh, but no, it, it's, it's always been pretty consistent. And that I think comes from my, you know, very brilliant and wonderful leader here at the Dykstra Agency, Sandy, um, who is very much involved on that front and always has been. So I really learned the ropes from, from her from the time I started here when I was a, a child. <laughs> <laughs> and she is the Dykstra Agency has been around for 40 years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we're about to celebrate our 41st anniversary, actually. So yeah. And um, Sandy herself has a, has a really interesting background. She actually came out of academia um, and was never expecting to be a literary agent. She had um, been a PhD in French literature and sort of fell into the publishing world because she basically went around pitching a friend's <laughs> friend's academic book project wow. and every yeah and everyone said you really need to be doing this You're officially this. yes huh. um and so she, and you know so i have to sandy is incredible and amazing and brilliant and really and truly started this agency uh from the ground up from absolute scratch um she did not have any 
you know, true mentors in the sense of, you know, working day by day with someone. She, she built this from, from the bottom and she was, there, there are a handful of, you know, kind of early West Coast agents, but she really was among that first group of major West Coast agents um, in a time when there wasn't email or anything. And it just kind of boggles right. my mind to think how she did that. So I will always have such tremendous respect for her for doing that. Passenger pigeons, obviously. <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yes. That's right. It boggles my mind how any business made it before email. You know, it's like, oh, I know. How did we do it? I know. <laughs> you know, I, as, a, as a writer myself, I, I would like to know, like, when do you look at a manuscript and you think, you know, this, there's some gold in here, but it really needs to be polished. Like, at what level are you willing to work with an author? Is it, you know, they're, 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 they're a great writer, but it just needs some heavy editing or, you know, I mean... How deep do you go in making a book ready for publication? Well, again, it really does depend on the project and on looking at the whole picture, which which is an important part, um, I think, for all writers to keep in mind, too, is that an agent is is looking beyond just that one project you know we're mm -hmm. looking at i know i know jennifer that you work on branding that you're a branding expert and we're looking at that piece we're looking at how an author um uh really sees themselves within what i like to call kind of the literary spectrum um who what their you know authorly or writerly identity is etc but in terms of how much we're willing to do um uh, editorially on a project um let me put it this way. When I get, and I'll, I'll focus this maybe on fiction. Um, when I get a fiction submission, I, looking back at the, the fiction authors I've taken on, I have known from the first five pages mm, that I've wow. ha absolutely have to represent a project. Hmm. There is just, and that's part of, I think, of who I am as a reader as well is I am so much about connecting with the um, writing style and just the confidence in someone's narrative voice mm. that there's just something that grabs me. And if that happens, that feeling, I will be willing to do whatever I can to make it work. Now, that said, if I do take on a writer and let's say we go through, you know, two substantial revisions and we're not getting to a meeting of minds mm -hmm. about where the project should go, um, then we may have to consider, reconsider whether we are a good team. Um, mm -hmm. And I should emphasize, too, that if you are in that sort of a process with an agent and you aren't getting to the finish line, it really sometimes may just mean that you're on slightly different pages about, about the project. It doesn't necessarily mean that your project is, you know, not worthy of publication or something like that. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes I think agents and, and an author um, may have a different idea of where the project is going, things like that. Um, you do need to make sure that you're working well together through the process. So that's part of what I'm looking at too, is are we on the same page as we go through that editorial experience? Um, do we have the same goal in mind? Um, do we have the same ultimate vision for this project? But, um, but yeah, so on fiction, I mean, I will probably go through a couple of revisions and just see if we're getting towards the finish line with um, nonfiction. When I'm working on proposals, I'll, I will usually do several more revisions than that if necessary, because revising a, um, a proposal tends to be easier than, you know, dealing with a you know, 400 page novel. Mm. And um, so to yeah. be clear for our listeners, mm -hmm. When someone is working with nonfiction, they have a proposal. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. they're working with fiction, they, they have the actual manuscript that you're working with. Yes. So, yes, when you are approaching agents, yes, if you're doing fiction, you absolutely these days want to have a finished manuscript. When I started a million years ago, we were still um, able to quite often sell a novel based on the first 50 pages and a synopsis. Mm -hmm. That is really not the case anymore. You really do need to have that full manuscript and feel that it's ready to go um, with the understanding that an agent may want another revision from you. 
Mm. But with nonfiction, we still sell primarily on proposals, which is essentially, you know, a business plan for your book, um, as well as a couple of sample chapters. Which is where that brand and author platform mm-hmm. come into play and whether or Absolutely. not an author is saleable, right? You know? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I read in your bio that you are interested in fiction that has unforgettable writing, a distinctive narrative voice, and memorable characters, which you just echoed a moment ago. Can you give us an example of a book that really exemplifies these traits? Oh, gosh, sure. Um, I mean, some of my representative clients who, you know, just, well, one, I'll, I'll just call out one in particular. Um, Tiffany Yannick is an incredible writer. Um, her novel, which was published by Riverhead, is called The Land of Love and Drowning. Um, Tiffany, um, and also I should say too, Tiffany just had her first story published in The New Yorker um, a few months ago, which was very exciting. That is exciting. Uh, <laughs> and that, that story actually comes out of her um, next novel, which she has just delivered to Riverhead. So that'll hopefully be published within the coming year. I'm still waiting on the pub date for that. Congratulations. Um, that, That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited. That one's called Monster in the Middle. But um, but yeah, if, if anyone's curious about a, a voice that truly speaks to me, um, Tiffany's Land of Love and Drowning is set in the Virgin Islands. It's a multi-generational story of... Um, of magic and amazing strong women and um, the effects of colonialism and all these, you know, simultaneously beautiful and tragic things with some sprinkles of magical realism. So um, it's, I mean, it's the kind of book that really when I'm saying you can read the first five pages and, and understand this book on, you know, down at the level of your bones, um, that is the sort of, uh, narrative tone I'm looking for in when it comes to fiction. It sounds awesome. I'm going to buy it. And I'd like <laughs> to point out right now, too, for our listeners, if you can buy from your local bookstore right now, it's it's a key time to really support our local boutiques, our local bookstores. And Warwick's on La Jolla, who is a partner of the festival, is doing, they, they will mail the book, they're doing curbside pickups, you can buy local still, even though we're, you know, remaining social distance, remaining safe and practicing social distance. So The Land of Love and Drowning by mm-hmm. Tiffany Anique. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I want to emphasize what you're saying too, is um, right now while we're going through this crisis, which may go on for the next several podcast <laughs> recordings that you do. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah I know it's scary. Um, I, what's been amazing to me is that publishing itself, like we are carrying on. It's, it's pretty amazing. We're, we're getting emails from publishers um, right now saying we're still here. Everybody's already working remotely. We are ready for your submissions. And that's so cool. But yeah, we're, we're publishing is suffering terribly, just as you said, is with the independent bookstores. So whatever anybody can do, if you're sitting around at home, instead of watching Netflix, please order a book from your local indie. Most, yeah, most of them are doing, like you said, I think free, um, free mailing right now. And um, it'll really help everyone out and help keep them alive. I'm a little bit worried about where we're going to be at the end of all this. So we all have to pitch in. That's right. Absolutely. And in fact, Elise, if you have like a top 10 book list that you'd like to recommend, we'll put it on the website and we'll link out to Warwick's and some of our local bookstores. Oh, that's a great Um, idea. Spread the love because we have time to read. We're at home. You know, what do do you do to not go stir crazy is one of the (laughs) things. So reading, reading. Speaking of, here's a question. So I don't imagine that you get a chance to do a lot of reading outside of the reading you do with your authors and work. But when you do, do you prefer audio, Kindle, or a physical paper book? Well, first of all, I should say that I think it's really important to do reading outside of my work reading. And I think most agents will say that as well. Um, first of all, I think it's incredibly important to be aware of what's coming out in the 
in the market right now. Mm, um, yeah. And as writers, you want to be aware of that also, that it becomes incredibly important when you're doing things like thinking about comp titles for your book mm-hmm. um, or just all other, th- a bunch of other things as well. Um, but uh, as for me, yes, I'm always reading a couple of books. I always was a hard copy book reader, but in the last few years, I will admit I have totally become an audiobook person. Have you? Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. you like podcasts too. So that makes And podcasts. I'm a complete podcast addict. I listen to so many podcasts. It's ridiculous. Um, and that's great. But but no audiobooks. And I think partially just because I have a really long commute. So audiobooks fill the fill the void. But um but and I love what what is happening with audiobooks right now. Um and the way that they're kind of evolving in interesting ways. I don't know mm. if you have listened to Malcolm Gladwell's new book. Um, on audio, but he almost presents it um, and rather produces it more like a podcast. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, so which makes sense because he's doing a podcast too. He's, oh, he has he, a great podcast. Yeah. yeah, he has like three podcasts or, now. I yeah, think. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know where he has the time for it all, but it's interesting to see what's changing there. But no, recently, um, oh my gosh, I listened. I finally listened to Ocean Vong's book um, on Earth. We're briefly gorgeous, which everyone needs to listen to or read. It's a masterpiece. It is so beautiful. Um, Say it again. Say the title again. Uh, Yeah. Ocean Vong on Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. That's quite a title. I like the title alone. It makes me feel... It is beautiful. It is, yes, <laughs> it's an absolutely gorgeous book and um, uh, tragic and terrible and beautiful all all at the same time. Um, and I also just listened to Adrian Brodeur's Wild Game, which is mm. her memoir about growing up with her very interesting mother. Um, I have that book. I need. To oh, do it. you? Yeah, I haven't yeah. read it yet, but I have it. Yeah. Well, I I um I was some of the people who are in the book kind of circulated in my life years ago. And so it's really interesting to see her depiction of, of them and read her story, which is incredible. Her mother Malabar was quite the character. Um, and I'm actually going back to a classic right now as well, um, which I keep talking to people about. I'm rereading, and this is I'm reading as a hard copy book. I'm rereading Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Oh, wow. Which okay. is a masterpiece. And I think, I, I had I hadn't re- I hadn't read it in years, and I think from now on I'm going to reread it once a year because it's such an absolute masterclass in how to um, create um, uh, just incredibly compelling narrative voice and interesting setup um, and unreliable narrators um, and all these these great things. So. So yes, I do lots of personal reading and I think it's really important. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear you talk about books. Gets me kind of giddy, honestly. <laughs> like I get really excited about books and to know that, you know, our literary agents are re- they're readers. Yes. You're a absolutely. reader. So that's just gives me so much hope for the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you're more of a hard copy book person, right? I am. Yeah. I still really appreciate picking up a book, just the feel of the book and turning the pages. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not quite at the Kindle. And I haven't gotten into audiobook because I have so many podcasts that I love listening to. It's like mm-hmm. finding the time to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. See, for me, the, the, the pinnacle is the hardcover. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm all about uh, dust jackets and embossing and debossing and headbands and, you know, all the, all the minutia that yeah. goes into creating the physical object, right? Right. So right. I would rather have hardcover or Kindle. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. See, I can't well, read on Kindle. I have tried and I just can't do it. Yeah, I can, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I have so many books on my Kindle that I just forget about. Like I'm, I'm, I love having physical books on my shelf that I can mm-hmm. reference. And I want to go up and look at the spines and pull them down. It's like such an experience that is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't want to give that up. And I don't have to. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and for Chad, like, I get it. For you, it's an aesthetic. It's a design thing. And, you know, we're book designers, too, mm-hmm. at Monkey See Media. So, of course, we're going to appreciate good design. But mm-hmm. I think because of print on demand, now books that really go into the minutiae are real special. 
Mm-hmm. They're special for the readers. They're special for the authors. You know, it takes a lot of time and energy and money mm-hmm. to produce yeah. those gorgeous books. And I would, I would like to personally thank McSweeney's. Just saying, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Everything they do is is so well designed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I buy a lot of their books just because I'm attracted to the packaging for sure. Yeah, yeah. and but I think that's how publishing will always carry on to when we've had these mm-hmm. moments where we said oh our our, our hard copy books dead the, never the way, yeah exactly never! <laughs> yeah exactly and i think the way they will particularly thrive is by putting the care into creating really beautiful um mm-hmm. quality packages that people want to have them on their shelves you know their little bits of art that's so true it reminds me of vinyl. You know, I, mm-hmm. I used to work in the music industry. <laughs> oh, okay. In 19, I'm, I'm going to say 89. I remember when I worked at Sam Goody Musicland and we had an order to box up and ship back all of our LPs. And I remember feeling utterly devastated because oh, no. I love vinyl, right? <laughs> and so at that point, I started collecting vinyl in like thrift stores. And, you know, I've always felt like vinyl is just, you know, a cassette tape at the time we had cassettes. This is even before, you know, CDs. Mm-hmm. A, a vinyl was art, you know, big, mm-hmm. beautiful inserts and the mm-hmm. liner notes were fun to read. And I just really appreciated it. And of course, you know, LPs are back. Yeah, they're back for that reason. People frame them and put them on their walls. You know, exactly. I've just started collecting vinyl myself, and it's been so much fun. (laughs) I love vinyl. I love the way it listens. (laughs) And Chad's a total total audiophile. Like (laughs) he's all about the whole connection. Like from from the the piece, the type of vinyl. Well, Chad, you should just talk about it. Um, you know, I have a preference for 220 gram vinyl. If I can't find that, then it's 180 gram vinyl. And I suppose I will suffer with 120 gram vinyl. There you go. There so, you go. Stuff I never was, thought about. <laughs> totally over my head. <laughs> totally makes a difference though. I'm like, oh wow, like the experience of listening to a really good quality audio is it's magical really Mm -hmm. especially if you're listening to like john coltrane and Mm -hmm. musicians that you know stuff that you have to spend time to actively listen to and that's Mm -hmm. what it is it's active listening and active reading oh i like that active Mm -hmm. reading when you Mm -hmm. have a hardcover and you experience the book Mm -hmm. that's cool well I would like you to do me a favor and walk our listeners through the life of a manuscript as it goes through the submission stages, starting with that query query letter. Oh, gosh, sure. Um, so, uh, well, oh, my goodness, I could. I know I it's could, a lot I to could, talk could... about. <laughs> um, We've got four hours. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the basic kind of bullet point version of what it looks like to approach and work with an agent are um, it all starts with a query letter. And well, actually, no, it doesn't start with the query letter. It it really starts with your project, of course, mm, and of course, um, yeah. really, you know, making your project the very best it can be, getting it workshopped, having a writing group if you can, um, Huge, you yeah. know, not just your sister or mother giving you feedback, but, <laughs> but you know, really getting that critical feedback and doing the work you need to do um, to, to get that book in as, as top notch shape as you can. And also spend that time understanding who you are as a writer. And that is about reading. That is about figuring out where your book fits in on the bookshelf, um, uh, what your platform is, all of these things that you want to be able to understand clearly and to be able to talk about and to basically bring to the table um, before you ever approach an agent. Um, and, and that those pieces will shine through when, when you have an understanding of who you are as a writer and what your, you know, quote unquote brand is going in. That really does come through very clearly when you send that query letter in and send those pages in. We can see that um, immediately. Immediately. Yeah. It really makes a difference. Yeah. So, so getting a, a handle on that before you take any steps towards publishing is, is a good thing to do. And, um, and also I think at the early stage, knowing which path you do want to take, I, I give a lot of talks on, you know, how to find and work with an agent. And I will say that every 
every talk I give, I always start with a few minutes of focusing on thinking about what publishing path is actually right for you. Um, You know, I'm coming from the traditional side, but I really believe that everyone's path is a little bit different and that everyone should figure out what's going to truly work best for them. And for some people that doesn't necessarily mean traditional publishing. I think Mm -hmm. there are more avenues than ever right now. And that's for, for writers. And that's very, very exciting. As long as you go down each path with as much information as possible so that you can be successful in whichever um, uh, publishing route you choose to take. Um, That's really the most important thing. But for those of you who do decide to pursue the traditional path, um, which normally, you know, if, if that's what's important to you, it's because, you know, for you, maybe a priority is, you know, having a shot at being public, uh, having a review in the New York Times, something like that, you know, that's, that would be the reason to really go the traditional route. Um, but in terms of approaching an agent, yeah, the the bullet points are basically that you write your query letter, which is an incredibly important thing. I can spend an hour just talking about query letters. <laughs> it is worth the time that you put in and every ounce of stress, um, those query letters are quite important. And that really is a one page letter that you are using to introduce your project. It is a business letter. Um, It needs to be polished and as on point as possible. Um, and, uh, And then you also do want to have your finished manuscript or your proposal ready to go. Every agent is going to be a little bit different in terms of exactly what they want to see in a submission. Um, most agents will probably want your query letter in the first five pages. Um, and uh, you want to also be really selecting the agents you go to carefully. Um, again, there's, you know, we could go on talking about how you do that quite a bit, but um uh, well, I will be talking about all this, I should say, at the the Writers Festival once it is rescheduled. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you Sometime can come hear more fall. about this. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I sympathize with you guys having to reschedule everything. I'm so sorry. Um, but I know it'll be wonderful once it happens again. Um, but strategizing who you go to is really important. I think it's important to remember that it's not just about finding some agent out there, but it is about finding the right agent for you. Mm, yeah. It is absolutely a partnership that agent needs to get your work. Um, you guys, you have to be on the same page with that person um, or it may not work out. And then you're going to end up back at square one, which is frustrating for everybody. So um, identifying the right agents for you from the early on in the process, from the get go can really be helpful. Um, It's a a lifelong partnership. It is. I mean, ideally that, and that's what we're looking for too. Most agents are not just looking for the, the one book. I mean, if there is that one great book, then, Hey, that's great. Um, And that's totally fine. But my goal is to find authors whose careers I can really help bloom over many years. I want to support them for a long time. And I want us to be able to, you know, go through go through a whole life experience together. And I'm, you know, really proud that I do have a lot of clients who I've represented for, you know, over a decade. And, and that's exciting and wonderful. And we can grow together. And that's, that's nice. And there are ups and downs sometimes. And, and sometimes (laughs) a writer totally changes the area they're working in and things like that. And we have to kind of figure it out as we go along. But that's part of the challenge of what I do. And that's part of the fun of it as well. And I really enjoy that. Um, And but yeah, just to I guess, walk you through a few of the other pieces. So, um, so once you submit to agents, there's the whole process of trying to find an agent, which you've got to have some patience, it can take months, um, sometimes, unfortunately, Um, once you do find that person, and you and the agent really decide you are a good team and are going to work well together, then there is a revision process. And then finally, you get to actually go on sale with the project, which I know you guys have talked before on the podcast, publishing, the submission process and the publication process can be long and slow. (laughs) You've (laughs) got to have patience through all this. So 
in an ideal world, an agent can sell your book within, you know, a month or so of going on sale, but there are times where it can take a lot longer. Um, and at that point, it's about communication with your agent and really making sure again, that you are on the same page about priorities and goals. And, um, and hopefully that agent can ultimately find the best home for your work. And that's what it is really about is, is finding that publishing house that is going to take really good care of you and your book and get it out into the world in the proper way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's not just about publishing it, right? It's about preparing the world for your book um, and, and, and doing everything they can to make sure it will be successful. And it's about the partnership as well between the publisher and the author um, with the agent kind of nudging, nudging everybody along. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, once the book is sold, I mean, again, that's, it usually does take anywhere from, you know, a, 12 to 18 months to even, you know, get the book out in the world, even if we've sold it as a finished manuscript. Um, But that is about preparing the world for your book. Um, So that is a necessary process um, and an important one. And, um, and then looking ahead too, I mean, that's where we get more into the career management questions. Um, And an agent Agents these days, for the most part, I mean, we really are career managers. We're looking at the whole picture. Um, we're looking ahead to the next book, probably f- far before you're even thinking about it. <laughs> um, and just trying to kind of, you know, keep all the balls rolling and keep everybody happy and play mediator between um, the publisher and author when things go wrong and yell about jacket art, <laughs> you know, and all these important things that are advocating for the author. You know, I never thought of that. So, you know, when an author gets back the jacket art, usually they have no choice in, mm-hmm. you know, what's actually going to be printed. But do you as an agent have a little bit more leeway in having an opinion in that? We that? do. Yes. And not, I mean, not ever, not always, for example, if the marketing team really, really loves the jacket as is, it may be hard for us to radically change it. Um, and also, I should say, an agent is the you know, person between the publisher and author. So while, of course, our primary job is to advocate for the author, our job is also to listen to the publisher. And if they say a jacket is really going to work, and here are the reasons why, we also, exactly. And we also need to go back to the author and say why we trust (laughs) the publisher's opinion. Um, It's really about finding a middle ground. But, but when there is a jacket that we truly, truly do not think is working, then yeah, you if you have an agent, they can at least come in and really make the case for why the publisher should at least try a different approach. So we have some other options. Mm. Um, But but yeah, it's about finding that middle ground, I think not just having an agent who's going to, you know, try to bully a publisher into doing whatever the author wants. It's a good point. I mean, really, there needs to be synergy and on all everyone wants the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as book designers, I teach a class on book design at a lot of conferences around mm-hmm. the country. And I find that a lot of authors want to design their own covers. And when mm-hmm. indie authors come to us to design their books, I find that they always have the sacred cow or something mm-hmm. that's so yeah. important to them it has so much meaning mm-hmm. to them but means Mm -hmm. nothing to the readers and Mm -hmm. doesn't attract the right audience. And, you know, it's such a, it's so important to have that right cover. Right. I absolutely So how many sacred cows have you had to kill? (laughs) (laughs) Well, fortunately, fortunately we don't have any clients really coming and bringing their own jacket art to us. So that's (laughs) good for you. That's helpful. That's helpful. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but it is about finding that middle ground. And I have to say publishers are usually really wonderful about giving us at least a few other options to pick from and that sort of thing. Um, Cause we want it all to work, but yeah, yeah, we try our best. (laughs) Everyone's working together. Yeah. At least that's the goal, right? Yes. Yes. I want to go back to, I know you teach a lot of classes and, you know, as our listeners know by now, we did have to postpone the festival, but we're in the works of creating an online teaching program. So some of these classes can be taken now as we wait for the festival. So Mm, I'm going to ask you right now on air, 
<laughs> Would you like to do a class for our new online teaching platform? Oh, gosh, of course. I love teaching. Yay. and I. <laughs> our listeners I love... are going to be stoked. Yeah, yeah I would love to. Teach. I would love awesome. to. No, it's so much fun. Yeah, and actually that probably taps into like my... my um, my thought when I was back in college of like going into academia because I I love that part of it and I love communicating mm. with people and I love I kind of love getting away from like behind my computer which is the vast majority of my work day so um, no it's so much fun it's a, it's frankly going out and giving talks and talking to people about their projects and even like doing critiques of query letters and things like that it is a reminder of why I do what I do and I really enjoy it. That's it's awesome. funny how uh, you and Lisa C. both avoided academia. Yeah, that's true. And then yet somehow both came back to doing basically the same thing as. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> no wonder you were attracted to her work, right? <laughs> Lisa's wonderful. She's so brilliant. And yeah, her um, her book, of course, well, you guys know from interviewing her, just came out in paperback mm-hmm. um, in the Island of Sea Women. And her, just like so many authors right now, her tour has been canceled Devastated, so yeah. yeah it's totally a bummer because she is a wonderful speaker she's so much fun to listen to and tell such great stories so um if you were gonna see her and her your event got canceled be sure to go out and buy her book anyway yeah and, and buy it from a local bookstore yeah. i recently bought her book on kindle actually <laughs> oh great yeah <laughs> i'm like gonna, i'm gonna give it a shot and i'm excited i love her work she oh yeah is it's fantastic such a reading her book is really just takes you into another world. Mm -hmm. And she's so generous as well, you know, with Mm -hmm. her time, with her fans, just her writing in general. She's such a Mm -hmm. lovely, lovely person. So yeah, absolutely. She does so much research. Yeah, she does. does. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah, I saw a video of, of her, I think it was on Twitter, of her basically showing off her just mountains of research for her next book. And it's just a shelf. And it's just paper piles upon paper piles is all very neatly organized in her office <laughs> but just the sheer amount i was like wow yeah that's not for me mm. i'm out i think it's awesome i and i love that we get to benefit from all of it in one yeah. book and we don't have to go through that whole stack exactly of paper. yeah yeah so <laughs> let's talk about resources so i mean i know you teach a lot of classes and give a lot of value but are there any like resources out there that you think are especially helpful for authors looking to write their query letter or or shop for an agent? Um, oh gosh, yeah, there there are. I mean, the number one resource that is out there is a fantastic thing called uh, Publishers Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if any, yeah, anyone listening, if you don't already subscribe to the free version of the publisher's lunch email newsletter, you should absolutely sign up for it. It's a, it's a short little email that you will get in your inbox every day. Every person in the publishing industry gets this email and it's an amazing, amazing, invaluable way to, get up to speed on what is going on on a daily basis in this industry that you want to be a part of, um, which I think is sometimes the thing that gets forgotten a little bit um, in the process of writing a book and trying to find an agent or publisher is that, you know, is that, you know, for, for any, for any job you want to get into, you go and like get a degree, you know, et cetera. But I think in, in writing and publishing that, that kind of gets left by the wayside a bit. But when you can educate yourself on this industry and see what's going on and get a little bit savvy on it, it really makes a huge difference. In terms of um, actually researching agents as well, that is that same resource is incredible Mm. because you can actually look up if you you have to subscribe to get this information, but you can actually look up deal announcements um, in any by keyword, by subject, by, you know, agent, by whatever you would like to look up. Um, And you can really see what agents are doing on, you know, a regular basis, kind of reported live. Um, And so you can look up the agents who are actively handling the type of work you do, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then what else? Uh, There actually, you know, what landed just on my book, on my um, desk, a couple days ago is poets and writers is publishing this 
awesome book. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. It's it's literally sitting here in front of me. Um, I don't know if it's actually on the shelves yet. I think it is. It's called The Poets and Writers Complete Guide to Being a Writer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like this like 500 page book and it has everything you can imagine in it. And I've been kind of flipping through it the last few days. And it's such it's just such a cool resource. So I highly I highly recommend checking that out. Um, but in terms of writing query letters and, and things like that, there are so many samples that you can even just find for free online mm-hmm, of what a good mm-hmm. query looks like um, that I promise there are plenty of models out there for you. I love looking at before and after versions of queries. Mm, you know, one that oh, you're like, yeah. oh, that's pretty good. And then you read the after and you're like, oh, oh I get it now. <laughs> oh, that's, you know what? I, I have never thought of doing that. That's interesting. I should, I'm, I'm sure those are available online too. I, I should look yeah, those up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, you know, and it comes back to, you know, you're looking for narrative, you know, distinctive narrative voice, memorable characters. And I think that we can let some of that writing come through in our query letters. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to capture the attention of that agent. Yes. We try to become too businesslike in those query letters. And then we've lost all the magic of what makes your work beautiful and, you know, captivating to begin Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing I talk a lot about when I do talk about query letters is that um, number one, a query letter is what you're trying to do, you don't even have to think about like pitching, you know, pitching the person like, cause that's really stressful to think about it that way. But really it's about stressful. really stressful, right? Because <laughs> yeah. not all of us are, are salespeople. And, and, but if we can think about a query letter in terms of giving the reader, whoever that reader might be, the tools to understand your project to the tools to understand the pages that they're about to dive into so that they can interpret it correctly in the way that you want them to as the writer and also to get a sense of the heart of the book of what you are trying to get across and of your your passion for it like why you have spent you know one or three or five or ten years writing this manuscript, um, when that can come through a little bit as well, that is the thing that is the element that I as the reader will latch onto and that will make me really excited to dive into those sample pages that I have. Mm. Yeah, that's looking at it from, from a whole new lens. I like it. Yeah, because I mean, I, I want I want to <laughs> know, I mean, I want to know why you care about it. You know, I do. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really important. So Awesome. Yeah. What is the biggest mistake you think authors are making when it comes to querying in an agent this year? This uh, these days, I should say. The biggest mistake. Oh gosh. Um, well, I think that I think going to the wrong agent. <laughs> right. And I and I will I will get those query letters where someone is sometimes I've even already passed on a project and they keep coming back to me and they're very insistent on it. Hmm. And even if I've said we're not a good match, so that obviously is a huge mistake. And I know that probably sounds like a big obvious thing, but it, it happens. Um, or just even querying me in general and querying me for, you know, a gritty thriller when I've n- never done that in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but otherwise I would say um, perhaps one really big mistake I see is when people bury, and this happens so often, people bury the most important information at the bottom of their query letter. Mm. Um, they, a lot of people, I think, seem to not want to brag about themselves. <laughs> oh, so they save it for last, like they build yes. up to it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, and then when I say you need to have that at the front, they, some people like don't believe me. <laughs> Interesting, you know, but but I, I want to hear what's exciting. I want to hear, you know, that that award you won or that blurb you have or the reason you're coming to me because we met somewhere or you enjoyed a book I represented or whatever the case may be. That really should come right up front. That's mm. what is, you know, potentially establishing our relationship and pulling me into the rest of this conversation that you're creating. Yeah, I, you know, I've always wondered, is it annoying when, like, let's say I read a query letter, and I start off by saying, you know, you represented this title, which I loved and is similar to my book. Does that feel like pandering? Or is that really important for them to establish that right off? 
Oh, I just love, I love that. When okay. someone, when someone says they've read Courtney Brickage's novel or, you know, Jonathan Keats or, um, Dean or Nelson Tiffany Anique. or Tiffany yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's no, it's so exciting to me. Um, and like, not, that, okay. You did your research. Yeah. Yeah. And not that you have to go out and like, you know, spend money on this agent's book because they represented it. But even if you mention that you loved the jacket or just <laughs> whatever, it really does mean a lot to me because I know you went and did that little bit of extra research and actually feel that we might be a good match. And that does mm. inspire me to give that project a little more time as well. So, no. so you're saying be a stalker is what you're saying. I'm yeah. saying be a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I do? You know, I'm, I'm a writer as well. Mm -hmm. And anytime I read a book that could be on my bookshelf, my comparable title bookshelf, I always read the acknowledgments. I always mm -hmm. see who the agent was. And then I look at the agent's submission, you know, requirements and what other books they have represented. And I create a long list of this is a possible agent who seems mm -hmm. to be a good fit for me. So I sort of go at it from the opposite. I'm looking for books that fit and then mm -hmm. who agented those and would they be a good fit for me? Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's absolutely a wonderful, wonderful way to research agents. Yeah, that's the that's the tried and true old school way that I still love and I still <laughs> always mention. And um, yeah, and I should say to the acknowledgements page for agents, but also for the whole publishing team who created a book, they're usually mentioned on that page that that acknowledgements page is a treasure trove of information about though? any book. Yeah, yeah it's totally. wonderful. Yeah, it's the first page I, I look at, um, too, with most books that come into my office. Nice. Oh, yeah. As an agent, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I always wait till the end because I feel like it's this, like, oh, do you? this like piece of candy. You know what I mean? It's like this. It's like the dessert, you know, after I read the book. Well, because you never want to put it down. You get to the end and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Then I get to like get inside the head of the reader and hear who was involved. And then I can kind of go down that rabbit hole of, well, who are these people and what else are they doing? And mm -hmm. yeah, so it's sort of like that, that special treat at the end of the book. <laughs> that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I don't know why I look at it first. I also ha used to have a very weird habit. I've kind of stopped now of I always used to read the last sentence of every book before I started it. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. The sacrilege. Wow. Did you find that you were like giving a lot away or was no, it like, well, no, no. no, by the time I finished it, I always see, cause I would, I would think, how do I feel about this sentence right now before I know anything about this book? And then I would read the book hmm. and then I would get to the last sentence and say, well, what is my interpretation of this last sentence now? That is fascinating. <laughs> I want to do it, but I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm totally afraid. I'll give everything away for myself. <laughs> I can't I do love, that anymore with audiobooks. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. That would be a lot of work just yeah. to, get that last, to line that up properly. Uh, you know, for me, I love starting a book that I know nothing about. Like, mm -hmm. I will often buy a book based on maybe I know the author or it has endorsements from people whom I trust or I just love the, the cover mm -hmm. and knowing nothing about the journey I'm about to take. Absolutely. And, and the same with fantastic. movies. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes I won't even read the jacket. I'll just start the book. And if it like grabs me, I'm like, good. I don't know anything that's going to happen. And then if someone tells me, oh, that's so good because of this. I'm like, no, now I know. That's so. great. Well, your favorite thing is like, hey, didn't such and such play that in the movie version? Oh, my gosh. That's the worst. I hate it when that happens to me. Yeah, I was reading The World, of world, the world According to Garb. Mm -hmm. And Chad told me that Robin Williams played the main character. And I was like halfway through the book. And I was like, no. Because it totally changed the main character who looked very different in my mind. Oh, that's so funny. And now it's Robin Williams. And I was like, yeah. why did you have to do that? You've ruined it. I, yeah, I've, I've learned since then to yeah, he not doesn't, do he that. Yeah, he doesn't do that anymore. And I love Robin Williams. Don't get me wrong. But, right. but he wasn't my character. He's not yeah. Garp. He was not my character. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers for Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> well, Elise, this has been awesome. I love talking to you. I feel like we could go on another hour and mm. um, that would be, I would have so many more questions. Maybe we'll have to do it again sometime, but thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys both so much just for doing this podcast in the first place and featuring local writers i think it's so special um and for also all you've done with the festival and it's i i just really have to spend 
30 seconds just saying if anyone listening has not been to the festival before, be sure you get there this fall. It is a magical event. Um, when Marnie and and both the both of you, um, but Marnie at first, because I knew her first, um, was telling me about pulling this event together, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to take like five years to get off the ground. <laughs> and then you guys did it. Like, and it was amazing. And there were Aww. so many people and everything just went off without a hitch. And it was, and everyone was so <laughs> appreciative of being there. <laughs> That's what I saw from the outside. That's um, awesome. And Thank it you. was, I was just so impressed and so gleeful with the entire thing. So um, I really just, my huge, huge respect for what you're doing and especially for making it, you know, free to the public and for really making it inclusive. Um, that is exactly what we need in these times and in this world mm -hmm. we're in. And I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, people like you made it happen. And so our listeners know in the fall, Elise brings together an awesome group of agents who actually take queries on site take pitches, I should say, from from authors, which is such an incredible yeah. experience. And to have it free is really unheard of. Yeah, so. it's really fun. It's really fun. And I would say if you do, um, if I could just put in one little bit of advice, if you do decide to take part in that at the next festival, is um, I do see a lot of people who just want the yes or no from the agent, which is important. And I totally realize that. Um, but remember to use that time meeting with the agent to also get feedback on your mm. pitch and yeah. to have a little conversation and really take as much as you can from that moment because um, it is nice, I think, to be able to really get some, you know, um, critical feedback from somebody who's hearing, you know, pitches all day. So, um, so yeah, use it in whatever way you can. And we really are, all of us at the festival are really there for the writers and we want to talk to you and we want to hear about your projects and just try to make it organic and fun. I know it can be nerve wracking, but, um, <laughs> but we are there to have those conversations and we love it. Yeah. With an open mind. That's yeah. awesome. It, yeah. It's so much value. And I, and I would also say to the listeners out there, take Elisa's class, which we're going to be offering online here. Yes. My future weeks, class. <laughs> how to find and work with an agent. Oh, which good. Be yes. A really good first step. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to make it happen. You know, Marnie and I believe that we can do anything. So we just don't take no for an answer. We just forge ahead and make it happen. That's, I love that's how it. How we do things. I love yeah. it. That's, that's how you get it done <laughs> and, and if you know if a door doesn't open we just knock on a different door and eventually a door will open right which is true for all of you authors out there looking for your agent just remember to keep doing your research and you know thank you elise for all that you do and all that you oh, offer you're so amazing we oh, really you're appreciate so sweet. you you're so sweet well i appreciate you guys as well chad do you have any final questions for elise Oh, well, so th this final question is, is one we've been asking of some of our, uh, some of our guests, but it hasn't always worked out. No, it hasn't. I think it's so, going to work out this time. So I've, I've think, been thinking about a couple other like final questions, but mm. the one I normally ask is, uh, uh, what's your desert Island book list? Mm. Um, but I've also been kind of toying with the idea of what's on your to be read there you list. Go. Like you've oh got a stack gosh. next to your bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, now my head is going in completely two different directions. <laughs> um, I will say my um, my favorite book of all time. And so this would be my true desert island book. Um, and, and I'm I'm just I'm not even going to pick one of my own authors because I, I can't just pick one and that would be unfair. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, authors. I'm just not going to do that. But my absolute favorite book is um, Catherine Dunn's Geek Love. Oh. It defines right. everything I love about fiction. Have either of you read this book? No. no. Oh my gosh. It was published in the 80s and it was the only novel she ever published. She was actually, unfortunately, she passed away a couple of years ago, which was really sad. I got to meet her once um, about a year or two before she passed away. Um, but uh, in fact, I met her at the LA Times Festival of Books and she wore sunglasses indoors the entire time and it was 
great. Um, but <laughs> um, Such but a rock she, star. I know. Right? <laughs> uh, but also like not, also like completely like kind of somewhat living under a rock in some ways. Um, she was very you know secretive in a sense in terms of her fiction writing life, but she mostly actually wrote nonfiction about boxing. Um, oh, but she had this one novel which became a cult classic and is about a. Uh, circus family and it's this kind of epic extremely dark um uh story of of this family they, they end up starting a, a cult and <laughs> and all these crazy things but but it is everything i love about fiction so that is my desert um island book i would say um and as far as what i want to read next um i am actually really really excited to read city of girls that has been sitting on my bookshelf for the last uh, couple of weeks. That's by Liz Gilbert. I saw her speak actually a few months ago. It was my first time seeing, going to an event of hers. And, um, and of course, I mean, she's like amazing and incredible, but um, seeing her speak was just fantastic. She was so inspiring and great. So I'm excited to get to finally read City of Girls. Nice, nice. Thank you for sharing those. Those are oh. awesome. Well, without further ado, Elise, Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and spending some time with Chad and I today. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you guys again and to seeing whoever I see at the Writers' Festival. In the fall. We'll have a date. At some point. At some point. We're, right now, we're just going like, to kind of lean back and write out what's happening. Be safe. Dear listener, you can learn more about Elise and all the agents at the Sandra Dykstra Literary Agency at dykstraagency.com. That's D-I-J-K-S-T-R-A agency.com. Plus follow Elise on Twitter at Elise Caprin. And on Facebook, her handle is Elise Caprin one that's the number one, and listen to her podcast, themjcast.com, that's M as in Michael, J as in Jackson. This has, <laughs> that's right, this has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com, follow us on Twitter at podpremise, and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, be safe and take good care of yourself. Thanks for listening. Are you an author with a story to tell, but you're just not sure how to get that story out? Guess what? You don't have to do it alone. Marnie Friedman is an incredible writing coach. She offers personalized support and expertise to guide you from a kernel of an idea to completion. Visit MarniFriedman.com to learn more. That's M-A-R-N-I-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Monkey C Media, a small boutique design firm offering award-winning websites, book cover designs, book trailers, and photography services. And full disclosure, we love what we do. Chad and I founded Monkey C Media in 2004, and we're still going strong. Visit monkeycmedia.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, the letter C, media.com, to see how we can help you promote your book, build a powerful online presence. Mm-hmm. What else you got, Chad? Uh, let's see. We've got the San Diego Writer Festival. San Diego Writers Festival. There are many writers, <laughs> and they're a proud sponsor of our Premise Podcast as well. 